This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 105. Uh, I don't know what to say. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. Have you felt like that at all? Maybe with everything that is going around in our world about racism and racial justice and what that means, what that means for me, what that means for you, what that means for our friends, perhaps you've looked at your kids and shied away from those tough conversations because y'all don't know what to say. Yeah, and as everything has been going on around us, we hope you've been listening. We hope you've been learning rather than shutting things out. And really, there's a lot. I mean, there are so many different views and 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 perspectives and, and my perspective, your perspective, and, and depending on what your ethnicity is, there's so much in and around this. So what we are hoping to do in this episode is really give you a tool, a framework, a little bit more understanding to know how to bring this around your dinner table and to talk to your kids, regardless of how old they are, about what's going on in our world with racism. I think as parents, our default is to naturally protect our children from the atrocities of this world. However, I don't think that's the best way to be able to go forward with parenting our own children, but also realizing that the people we are raising, yes, we are raising future adults in our home. So we cannot just ignore what is going on in our world. We cannot ignore what is going on in our backyard. It's time to be able to inform ourselves and really take the posture of listening and learning to be able to know what to say to our kids. Yeah, and that's the point of today's episode. We are interviewing Kara Meredith, who grew up in a white bubble where everyone looked just like her. And then she fell in love with the son of a black civil rights icon, and her colorless view changed forever. She and her husband live in the San Francisco Bay Area with their two mixed-race sons. And before we get this interview started, we do want to mention that Kara generously sent us a list of children's books, of children's literature, to be able to continue this conversation with our kids. And you'll be able to find this resource and all other resources mentioned in this episode at inbetween.org slash episode 105. All right, let's listen in. So our, if our podcast audience, if you don't know Podcast Family, sort of the way that books are put out, it's not like something just happens in the news and you script something and then the publisher <laughs> yeah. says, let's do this. That's a blog article. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That. You'll find that on medium.com. Yeah. But no, <laughs> yeah. in an actual written book, there's a lot that goes into the process of things and probably um, at least a year between you finish the manuscript mm-hmm. and then it goes into publishing. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Kara, you wrote the book, The Color of Life. And can you tell us what was going on in your own life um, surrounding things and even what was happening in the world when you started to write this book? 
Yeah, well, I oftentimes say this was never the book that I intended to write. Um, I I did not purposefully um, set out to write a book about uh, my marriage, interracial marriage, raising mixed race kids. Uh, I thought I would write a book about um, being a woman in ministry, as I used to be in ministry, and leaving ministry and going through a faith crisis and uh, becoming a mother and all of those things. And I did actually write that book. Um, which no one will ever see because it was just horrible. Uh, it lives on the back burner of my computer. Um, and I, I wrote the book. This was several years ago. I tried to sell the book. Uh, I think I queried probably 36 or 39 agents trying to find someone to pick up the book. Um, so this was probably four or five years ago. And um, in the meantime, uh, or just in, in the middle of that, I had started to write about my journey as a white woman into issues of race. Um, and what it meant to be in an interracial marriage and to raise mixed race kids and what I was learning about white privilege and about whiteness in the world around me. And um, I had there was an article that ran, uh, I think this was probably February of 2016, so four years ago. So an article ran that was about my story. It was a long form narrative essay. And it ended up going viral in a in a medium.com sort of way. Mm. And at that point, the the very first agent that I had ever queried, she sent me an email and she said, would you please stop trying to sell that other book? Um, that is not the one that the world wants to read. This is what the world wants um, to read. Wow. Wow. Um, so that was that was just over four years ago, and um, and it, it then began a process of first coming to grips and to terms with it, uh, talking to my husband James, talking to our extended family, um, because I knew that it, it wasn't just my story that I was writing, but that it would be um, it would be telling the stories of a whole lot of people, and I needed to obviously have permission. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that began the process. Um, I didn't get a, I, it took another year probably before I got a book contract, but that was kind of how everything started. Um, and then as, as we talked about earlier, the book came out almost a year and a half ago. So uh, the book writing process, um, takes quite a bit of time, um, as does the publishing process. Um, and now a year and a half later, we're, we're, we're going, oh, yeah, this is a conversation all of us need to be having, mm-hmm. no matter the color of our skin. And so there's been a bit of resurgence um, of interest in the book. And, and my only hope is that it it serves as a companion guide and and really a place for others to step into greater conversations yeah. of race and racial justice. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. It's providential how, how God works, mm-hmm. uh, both then mm-hmm. and, and both now. And, and we all know that uh, there's a lot going on in our world. And with the death of George Floyd, there's just been, and, and we address this on our, on our YouTube, our After Hours live show as well. Um, but man, there's just, there, there seems to be, not that it was not an issue before, but it seems to have gotten race, racism and systemic racism. The existence of that um, has just been, I, I'm so grateful for the fact of how it's resurged and how it's gaining a measure of attention that I don't remember uh, in in my lifetime, mm-hmm. at least in my lifetime, it, it's it's really gotten this much for as sustained a period of time as it has. So, uh, in 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 light of that, uh, I guess the question for our podcast family is: How do we begin uh, or continue the conversation of racism and racial justice with our kids? 
Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. (laughs) So if you have another um, five or six hours, I would love to chat. (laughs) Uh, Do a masterclass. Everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I actually do quite a bit of training and teaching around this, Mm -hmm. Uh, not by myself, um, but I partner with other people of color, um, both online and local events when the coronavirus allows for us to do that in socially (laughs) distanced sort of ways. Mm I think the first thing, though, um, is to is to start where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And no matter um, no matter the age of your child. So our boys now are five and seven years old, almost six and eight. They'll both um, they'll both be upping another year in age this summer. Mm-hmm. So we're holding that over them. As far as um, you are an almost eight-year-old, this is how eight-year-olds act. You might want to delete that part from your podcast. But, um, Could be another useful man. tool for somebody. Yeah. There you go. Take notes, y'all. Yeah. Genius moment here coming from two cups of coffee, Kara. There you go. Um, but you know, studies show uh, that children as young, infants as young as six months old, are able to make racial preferences. So they are able, uh, there was a study a number of years ago, which I cite in my book, but it showed, uh, it it was a study of infants being shown different pictures of caregivers um, and caregivers of different ethnicities and skin tones. Mm -hmm. And children as young as six months old were able to make racial preferences based on those pictures. Um, So what does it mean for us to then say, okay, our kids are already seeing and noticing and experiencing race in the world today. Mm -hmm. Um, So we start right where we're at. If something is on the news, then we talk about it. Um, If I remember when our older son was, he was probably two, but um, he, we had on, um, and I think I read about this in my book as well, but we had on, on the television screen, one of those, um, one of those radio shows that shows static pictures in the background. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but um, it showed onto the screen flashed a picture of Alicia Keys, who's a light skinned um, black woman and Cannon, our older son, he looked at it and he pointed at the picture and he said, Nana, who is James's stepmother, my husband's stepmother, um, who has, who's half black, half white, who has light skin. He Mm -hmm. said, Nana, Literally, the next song that came on was of Kelly Clarkson. It was a Kelly Clarkson song, and he looked at the screen and he pointed and he said, "Mama." Oh, and wow. then, can you not? Three or four minutes later, right. up pops Bruno Mars, and who did he associate? Dada. <laughs> no kidding. So for us, we take that moment. Our wow. son was two years old. We take that moment and we say, "Yes, you're noticing." Mm. So what does it mean to notice and to honor? I think for a lot of folks, it's really easy. And and I might say this simply, I I say this primarily maybe of my white brothers and sisters, but I don't want to exclude or alienate um, because I think all of us are on different journeys of our own racial identities. And depending on the culture um, and or the place that we live or come from, talking about race can be easy, but it, it is also not generalized that just families of color are talking about this. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean um, to embrace and um, accept and encourage these conversations, not to shut them down? What does it mean for um, for us to, to show our children literature and or television shows that feature diverse characters, mm-hmm. um, books that are written by diverse authors, um, but that, that feature children? Um, Ezra Jack Keats 
I think back in the fifties, um, he was one of the first authors and he was a, he was a white Jewish man, but he wrote a snowy day. And it was one of the first books that featured, um, a young black or African-American yeah, child. Yeah, I remember and, that. And, and yeah. that, that, I mean, that is, it was such an important book, even, even though a board book, um, even though it came from a white author. Um, but what does it mean for us to feature and to be showing and then talking about that? Uh, when it comes to princesses or superhero superheroes, mm-hmm. uh, if your child sees a show and and all the superheroes um, look alike, what what does that communicate? Yeah. So we can have these everyday conversations just as we are entering into um, understanding our own racial identities and histories and ancestry and where we come from. We can talk about that with our kids right now. We can go out um, into our own neighborhoods and learn the roots. Um, what indigenous people inhabited our grounds, uh, the grounds, the, the land that we lived on, uh, that we live on now? Um, what, what, his, what history or uh, cultural events can we attend and just come in as a, with a learner's heart to learn and to grow um, from those who have been on the journey maybe before us who have yeah. something to teach us? Yeah, that's, that's so helpful. And I know there's, um, I, I know there's conversations, there's, uh, there's a lot of that that can happen depending on the age of your kids. But I just love your starting point here in terms of what are they watching? What are they reading? Mm-hmm. What are they perceiving? Because for Christina and I, as minorities, it's really, I mean, that movie, Crazy Rich Asians, was mm. as popular as it was, was so significant for both of us. Right. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just the awkward Asian guy, or it was, mm-hmm. you know, the, or the subdued, the, quiet Asian girl. Yeah, or the gangster Asian <laughs> okay. guy, or yeah. the monster, yeah. or whatever. It was a whole cast, sure. and it was just so moving. And it wasn't us watching a Korean drama. I mean, this is Hollywood. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for us, that was so significant. And for us, it was like, okay, well, what other, um, like, there's an American mm-hmm. girl. A movie that mm-hmm. has an Asian mm-hmm. as uh, one of the main characters, mm-hmm. and and even books like we were reading this book called Bao about um you know uh, dumplings Bao, yeah. and it was it was an Asian family, and it was just so fascinating to see my kids look at that, and it was like it was different for and them. They could definitely identify <laughs> with the character. Yeah, they're like, I made yeah. that. Yeah, it is hard to make that. Yeah, we yeah. make dumplings at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, yeah, just yeah. to see how um, story and the narrative can really shape us, I think, in both positive and negative ways, right? So to be aware of what um, is on our bookshelves, what is coming through the screens mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So I love, Kara, how you're talking about it, um, that we can start with younger kids. How about mm-hmm. for those, like our oldest right now is 10 turning 11, about to start in to the preteen and and the teenage years, um, what recommendations do you have for those who have older children who are maybe have access to the news themselves, but maybe the parents or even the family dynamic hasn't really talked about racism or maybe they don't see it around themselves. Like Canadians, we pride ourselves in being multicultural and almost just have this subdued racism under, but we sweep it under the carpet because we talk about it at school and we, you know, celebrate Black History Month and Asian History Month. We're not a melting pot. We're a mosaic. Exactly. exactly. So, which is, you know, to our demise in many ways. So what recommendations do you have for for those families that are sort of in that situation? I mean, to be totally honest, I think it's the same. I, our kids know. They know and they understand. And um, 
I remember one one moment that I write about in my book, but uh, we were visiting the family in the deep south and our boys were still pretty young. I don't think our oldest was more than three or four at that point. But my father, my father-in-law, excuse me, um, whom I also write about, a uh, black icon from the civil rights movement, he, he looked at me and he said, they know, they already mm. know. Um, they, they know, they get it. And I, I think about that with our older kids as well. Obviously, I, I'm going to keep pointing back to reading into books, no matter whether fiction or nonfiction, they change us. Um, and there mm. are so many incredible middle grade and YA novels that are featuring, um, that, that do feature diverse representation. And that is the kingdom of God, right? Right. Yeah, that is, yeah. that is God's, God's intention of diversity is reflected in our world. And so what does it mean to then read and support, um, these books and to say, yes, it matters that all of our children are seeing people who look like them. But I think also when I think about a 10 year old kid, and, and again, our sons are not that age. And so I am not a parenting expert, certainly over the age of seven and 11, 12. Um, but, but when I think about that, they're, I mean, they're, they're just, they're about, they're on the cusp of stepping into concrete thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so, so they, they're already, they've got ideas. They're, they're already at that place of understanding. And so what would it mean to go on a walk? with your child and talk about it. I, I recommend walks all the time because there's something about not having to look at the pressure of having to look at someone face to face. Um, but for kids to just be able to be given space mm. on a, on a walk around the neighborhood or a hike through the forest, um, or playing basketball. We do that all the time in our shared driveway. And some of our most incredible conversations happen when we don't have the pressure of having to look at each other that way. Mm, but just right. to just to say to your child, what are, you, what are you noticing? What have you heard um, on the news? Because we can guarantee, I mean, our children right now might be more at home, might be socially distanced, both with summer and with the coronavirus. I'm not sure what it's like up in Canada. Um, but they're still talking to their friends. Mm-hmm. They're still communicating. They're still gleaming information from the world around them. And so what does it mean to honor right where they are um, to maybe, and, and this might be controversial, but to not protect them hmm, and or protect right. them from what we think they can't handle. Hmm. Um, for us as a mixed race family, um, we don't have the choice not to talk about, not to talk with our young boys um, about the realities of the world that mm-hmm. we're living in. It is yeah. a privilege not to have to talk about that. Mm. And yet, what would it look like? How would this conversation, which as we said at the very beginning, there's there's been an uprising in our world and and I can't help but but just hold on to hope in the midst of this. What what does this mean that we might actually be listening to the voices that have been talking all along mm-hmm. that many of us have just been again privileged not to have to pay attention to. Right. But for real actual change to come, not only within hearts, because it is both individual racism, but also systemic ra- racism. Yeah. So what does it mean for change to actually come to the systems in our world today? Um and, and maybe that means having conversations and digging in with our kids right where they're at. Um, and and not protecting them because we think they're not old enough or uh, because we don't think they'll understand or because we want to keep the world a safe place, mm-hmm. but instead to say, this is the reality. So with our boys, they, they do know what's going on in the world. They do know 
that people with dark skin, that, um, that black and brown people are being killed. And we talk about that. And we have stood on the corner for um, family-friendly protests. Mm-hmm. We have held signs. We have continued to dialogue about this and to enter into the conversation because we can't not. Um, but we also believe that this is who, that, that if we want, a, I guess, a better place for our kids, mm-hmm. then, then it's, it's not a matter of um, posting a, a, a nice image that shows our support on social media, but it's a matter of actually living right. um, into this every day and doing the work and um, putting on our... Our, our big girl panties and our big boy panties <laughs> yes. and like doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. In. Mm-hmm. I mean, not shying away from it. It's, right. it's, so it's a privilege not to have to talk about this. And yet look what's happening in our world. People are dying for it. Mm-hmm. So do we care enough about all of our children mm-hmm. to have these hard conversations, even if we mess up, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable? Um, it is okay to mess up and it is okay mm-hmm. to feel uncomfortable. It is okay to say to our kids, you know what? I, I didn't actually say that the conversation we had a couple days ago, I, I didn't get that right. Let's do this over. Hmm. Let's um, I'm doing my homework as you're doing your homework and I'm learning as you're learning and we're growing and we're journeying together. Um, and we're going to do this together. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Yeah. I love that. I love how you were saying, Kara, like start where you are as we are talking about our children. Um, I think yeah. that also sometimes we hide under the facade of we don't want to, you know, burst that bubble for our children or we don't want, you know, to ruin life for them the way they see it, this magical unicorn filled life. When really, maybe it's just the fact that we are on. Un- uncomfortable with looking inward mm-hmm. and seeing the ways that we are racist or the ways that we have thought things that are actually not true or just have sure. been able to you know bypass like you said with that's privilege bypass having to talk about these you know things that are going on in our life and in terms of your book I love this chapter called Lamentations and you write it as a reflection about how you and your friend Shannon um, were going through the National African American Museum of History and Culture in Washington DC and I love that you were talking about lamentations and laments and I want to read this quote to our podcast family we had to learn how to hold the oppressor and honor the oppressed for love can redeem everything including both the oppressor and the oppressed we had to enter the fullness of lament and for those who don't understand what lament is or don't understand what lament has to do with any of this um can you explain to our podcast family why is why is lament important uh, lament. Well, first of all, to start things off, um, if your listeners have not read uh, Soon Chang Ra's book um, on lament, do you know what I'm referencing here? Uh, yeah, can, I, I, yeah. I just, 
I just forgot the name of it. I am so sorry, Sunshine Ra. Uh, prophetic Lament, excuse me. Mm. Um, it is it is absolutely the place that we have to start. But Lament uh, is as it sounds. Lament um, is is to mourn, is to grieve, is to enter in. Um, but it's also in a biblical sense, which is what um, which is what Sunshine Ra really writes about. It is not meant to be individualistic. It is not meant to be by ourselves, but it is meant to be with the greater body of God, mm-hmm. um, of God's people. And so what does it mean as faith communities and or as families and or as friends who are gathering together to say, okay, we are not um, we are not doing this alone, but we are lamenting. We are grieving together. We are we are saying, I'm sorry, but as we, but when and as we are doing this, we are reaching for the greater goal, which is um which is which is redemption, which is that all of God's people would be redeemed, that there would be equality, that um, all would be welcomed and honored at the table. And so what does it mean then to look inside ourselves? I mean, this is going back to the both and it's both when it comes to racism, it's it's individual and it's systemic. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean to look inside ourselves, but also to look um, in the systems, um, into the systems and um, to say, OK, I see this. I, I see this in myself. I see this and I lament and I do the work um, toward, uh, may, maybe I journal, maybe I pray, maybe I dig into the roots of my history. Maybe I write, I'm sorry letters. Maybe I um, ask myself what this means. I also look at the systems that are in play in the world around me. I look at the systems that benefit some but do not benefit all. And I work toward that change. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a matter then of, of empathizing, but it's actually working toward change. Um, so whether that's in our educational systems, whether that's in our um, prison systems, right? The school to prison pipeline is a real thing. Um, whether that's in our churches and our faith communities, uh, where whiteness and or assimilation um, might be honored above um, the, the diversity of God's kingdom, mm-hmm. the true diversity. Um, just yesterday, I, I have a I, I'm not cool enough to have a podcast, but I do Facebook live interviews with folks every week, um, which is kind of my way of doing a podcast. Awesome. And so just yesterday, I interviewed a woman named Quantrilla Ard and her PhD and then MPH, Master's in Public Health, is around Black maternal health and infant uh, disparities within the United States in particular. And um, it was it was a haunting conversation yeah. that we had. But what does it mean to, you know, both within, um, I think a lot of folks have become aware in the last couple of months, the disparities of death within the African-American uh, population in particular, mm-hmm. within the U.S. context for due to the coronavirus. And it's the same uh, within Black maternal health and infant disparities or infant deaths. And that, and that has to do with the systems. It has to do with the racism that is experienced uh, by the individual because of the systems at large. And that's a huge conversation to get into, yeah. right? Um, but but what does it mean for us to sit here with eyes with eyes wide open and with our palms up, um, mm-hmm. with our ears open, and to say, okay, I'm going to enter in, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to learn. And back to your original question, I'm going to lament. I'm going to honor the God of of all, mm-hmm. um, the God of inclusivity, the God of diversity, and um, and I'm I'm going to honor the ways that I've gotten this wrong that I've benefited um, and I'm going to work toward change both yeah. within me, but also within the greater system. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so important that there's that progression 
for mm-hmm. us. One of the things that I've been sharing at my church um, as we've been wrestling with this, and I've been wrestling with how do we how do how do I lead our congregation toward a yeah. greater understanding? Um, one of the phrases I've kept on saying is, "Hey guys, non-response is not a response, mm-hmm. right? We just okay. can't sit by." And but but the mm-hmm. flip side of what does action look like? Um, it's not always marching. Marching is a part yeah, yeah. and it's a part of, right. but that's yeah. not always. And, and just posting something on social media is not, sure. or reposting something. I mean, that's not the extent. Mm-hmm. There's a progression. And I think for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's just, it's learning. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's Lifelong learning. learning. Yeah. It's, it's not, and it's yeah. not just, yes, I'm glad. I, I, I'm grateful for the sustained attention mm-hmm. that this is getting. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, something else is going to happen. And in the news cycle, something else is going to take over. And mm-hmm. that's not our excuse to stop learning. We need to continue to learn books like yours, The Color of Life, uh, another book, uh, White Fragility. I mean, there's so many books out there that it's just countless that that just help our that that podcast on me that it's just for you to just begin this journey you don't have to finish it all in a week um, but what does this lifelong journey look like for you individually but also um so that you can be a part of systemic change yeah now kara um you end the book with this powerful statement fighting for justice isn't something we do for others but it's something we do for ourselves Let me just share that again. Uh, This is your quote. Fighting for justice isn't something we do for others, but it's something we do for ourselves. Can you explain to our podcast family what that means? Yeah, um, this can be interpreted in a number of different ways. Um, But for our purposes today, I'll just say this. Um, I think it's really easy as a white person to, um, to let the culture that is around me, which can so easily be a culture um, that negates identity. Uh, maybe it's a culture that believes it's in, it's more important. Uh, the individual is more important um, that might believe in assimilation and or um, in just these different tenets and values of whiteness to then erase the individual. And so or to, to then erase, um, not the individual, excuse me, but to erase um, the totality and the wholeness of who, I am of who we are. Mm. And as a white person, it's really easy for me to say, okay, well, this is not, this is not about me. This is for my black brothers and sisters, my black and brown brothers and sisters. And yes, that is absolutely true. But we can also go so far as to say, uh, when we do that, as as to um, not see ourselves in the midst of it Mm. and to then really be dipping our toes into white saviorism. Right. So what does it mean? All of this is rooted really in um, King's belief of a of the beloved community. Mm. For me, I learned a lot um, from Mama Ruby, Ruby Sales, mm. um, a theologian and activist um, who also learned quite a bit um, from King and from King's teachings. But but that points back to Jesus, right? And it points back to um, who we are. And so, what does it mean uh, to to be loved? And uh, to believe that we ourselves are lovable and valuable and to want and to embrace and to accept this love for ourselves. Mm. Um, and, and in that way, to dig into lament and to accept the love that God has for us. And out of our belovedness, to then say, yes, just as I am just as worthy and just as beloved, so are my black and brown brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. my um, brothers and sisters of color. And so this is something for all of us 
So it's a, it's a both and I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear here, but, um, what does it mean to believe that of ourselves? I think we have to believe it of ourselves in order to believe it for other people. Right. Yeah. We talk a lot about, um, in many circumstances in life, how you can't give from an empty cup because <laughs> it's just going to shatter <laughs> if you keep doing that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I love Carol. You're saying that, um, it's, we're giving out of, um, uh, out of the understanding and the experience ourselves of being loved by God and understanding that in a, in a deeper way that um, if we are worthy of his love and his grace, how we can extend that to, um, to everybody, to everybody in the world. So uh, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, she is the author of the color of life, a journey toward love and racial justice. Kara, you uh, talked a lot about different resources and things that you are doing as well to continue on the conversation. How can our podcast family find you and find these different resources that you've been talking about? Absolutely. Um, my website is karameredith.com. You're welcome to drop me an email and or connect with me there. Otherwise, on both Facebook and Instagram, I'm at Kara Meredith Wright, and then Twitter at Karamac54. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm happy to pass along resources of diverse uh, children's lit books. That's one of my favorite ways, again, to oh, enter the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who buy or purchase my book, uh, there's a recommended reading section at the back with um, 16 of my favorite books, most of whom are written by people of color, um, but ways to further enter in and join the conversation. So I would start there and um, thank you if you enter into the conversation by buying my book uh, and buy it alongside a book by a person of color. That's That would be an honor to have that happen. Wow. I'm so grateful for Kara and the wisdom that she gave to us personally as parents, and we do hope also you, our entire podcast family, but really to us as parents to know how to continue to talk about racism and racial justice with our kids. My hope for this episode for us and as well as you podcast family, that this would be a launching pad. This would not be a landing zone of, yep, I've listened to a podcast about racism. I've picked up two books from the library. We've had that conversation around the kitchen table. And now we are sure we are not racist because we've talked about racism. I really hope that in our hearts that we can examine and understand what it means to fight for justice, not something that we just do for others, but something we do for ourselves as well. Awesome. So just as a reminder, go to inbetween.org slash episode 105 for all the resources that we've talked about, including that downloadable that Kara generously provided for you. And on that note, maybe text this episode as well to a friend or someone else who has come to mind and have a conversation about this as to how you can together talk to your kids about racism and share ideas as to what you've done and what you've learned and how you can move that conversation forward. You can either do that by texting inbetween.org slash episode 105 to them or just hitting the share button on your favorite podcasting app and sending them this episode. All right. Well, next week on episode 106, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be discussing how a conflict-free marriage should not be our goal. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening in and we'll catch you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. 
Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.